Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Good morning and hello. Thursday edition PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Learn more as always at googlestore.com. It's a Thursday. It's a football Thursday. There's a football game tonight. It's football and it's on TV, even if it is the lowly Panthers hosting the Falcons. <laughs> Boom, there it is. days ago. Boom. Just 11 days ago that they gave us a pretty good game. One of the best throws you'll ever see. One of the most exciting finishes. Boneheaded penalties that sparked some crazy and inconsistent and nonsensical attempts by the NFL to explain what is and isn't a foul when you remove your helmet. It was a wild day in Atlanta, and they're back together again. I, This is the shortest you could ever go. Short of playing a team on back-to-back weekends, which we've seen in the final week of the regular season and the playoffs before. But this is the shortest you could ever go in the regular season between playing against the same team twice because you're never going to do back-to-back week. So it's a yeah, sandwich game, a Thursday and it's game. the Thursday. Right, right. I guess the only way it would be any closer is if it's Monday, a Monday Thursday, right. and then Thursday. Yeah, right. Uh, it is. The wounds are still fresh, I'm sure. You know, And, and, and added, on the, added on to that that – you know, there's some wounds that, you know, were put put on last week by the Falcons losing to the Chargers. The Carolina Panthers whooping or getting whooped by the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know, Mike. And here we are another week, too. You're starting it off with, I mean, how many weeks is this where we have an underwhelming matchup? The games have delivered, that's for sure. But, I mean, we just sit here and, man, Panthers-Falcons. Have, have they? Well, I mean, last week was better than you expected. You didn't expect 14-14 at halftime with the Eagles-Texans. No. You thought that was going to be over. So, you know, that, that, that delivered, you know, to a degree. And and even the even the, the really bad games, Colts-Broncos and right. Commanders-Bears, had they still had exciting yeah, finishes. they did. They did. Yeah, they definitely did. The, the The Washington Bears finish was phenomenal. And then the Colts-Denver game, as boring as it was, it was amazing because we were going, are we watching two all-time greats here or are we watching two below-average quarterbacks here? What the hell is going on? So it was like great drama that way where, you know, I don't want to say Matt Ryan was below average in that game, but Russell Wilson certainly was. And that was still in the process of us talking about that, discussing that. So hey, we'll see where it goes tonight. Both of these teams got... Some stories that are interesting. The Falcons, of course, are still in the thick of things. And the way Tampa's playing, you can't sit here and just go, well, I think Tampa's got it straightened out and they're going to run away with the division. I'm still going to pick them to win the division. But, man, I mean, they don't make you feel good on any given week. So they got a chance. And then, man, the Panthers, Mike, I don't know. Where do you think it goes from here? They're, they're interesting in just the, the state of their franchise is, I think, the, the big conversation. Well, you know what's kind of amazing to me? Yeah. On most days, we will start off the show wasting five to seven to ten minutes I talking know. about whatever right. and not get right down to business. Right. On the day that 
we may have the worst Thursday night matchup of the year, at least on paper, going We're into diving the game. right in. We go straight <laughs> into it. We can't hey, wait. hey, Bezos, <laughs> Bezos, send us a check Please. for promoting your product. Please. For crying out loud. But before we go any farther, though, I do want to. I do want to waste some time because right, I got cool. a question for you because this happened to me last night both ways. Wow. Both ways. Okay. You wake When you wake up, you're asleep, and you wake up, and you check the time. And in the old days, it meant looking at the clock on the nightstand. Now yeah. it means looking at your phone. Right. We don't even have a clock on the nightstand anymore. That's you the, look at yep. your phone. Neither us. So if you wake up without an alarm going off, you just happen to wake up, which do you like better? Which which do you feel better about? Right. Waking up and seeing you still have two hours to sleep until your alarm goes off. Yeah. Or waking up one minute before the alarm was going to go off. Oh. So you you woke up and you don't have to deal with that whatever the noise it is that wakes noise. you up. Right. Which which one do you like better? Oh, because I, I, I had both happen last oh, night. Oh, wow. that's that's good. I mean, it's good and bad actually. In my, I, I would rather have the I woke up two hours before the alarm clock. I love that. You know, I love the whoa roll out. You know, take the middle of the night. Pee, right? I got to go to the bathroom. I'm 42 years old now, so I can't make it through the night. You know, sleep is not all of us. Not all of us. (laughs) Not all of us have that issue. I I got that issue for sure. I mean, if I just get up once that night, I'm happy. But what I do love when I roll over, I wake up at 5:30 on most mornings, right? And when it says 3:30, 3:15, I go, oh yes, thank God, I got two hours of sleep left. But every now and then, I'll wake up at, like to your point, five. 25 15 and I have to pee and I'm like oh no it's coming around the corner and I'm going to be waking up and the alarm so I easily would rather have the two hours of sleep left there is a certain glee that I take though in avoiding having that damn alarm it's a nightmare sound right right I hate that and I need it or you're going to be sitting here by yourself. Well, now, um, we're hoping I developed for that one a skill. <laughs> well, thanks. When 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 I was in high school, I developed the skill of waking up, turning my alarm off, and going back to sleep, and not even realizing it happened. Yeah. So I had to take the clock and physically move it to the other side of the room. Sure. I had to get at least one foot on the ground. Right. To be sure I was awake. I yes. went through that for a few years. Yeah, my little boy's gone going through that. You know, he's in the you know, twelve years old, growing like a weed, like literally like to where you buy him a pair of pants and then he comes down at the end of the month and you're like, Oh my gosh, you need a new pair of pants. They don't fit anymore. But he'll I don't know what happened. My alarm didn't go off and we're like, No, we know what happened. You look exhausted and you just you turned it off and rolled over and you don't remember. And that's that's what goes on. But yeah, I remember those days too in high school eighth grade you know, doing that and being like what it's 20 minutes before school how did this happen and I had a mom that didn't care so my mom my mom was the type of mom dad be out the door at football right my mom would be the type of I'd wake myself up almost all through grade school and she was the type of like Hey mom, come on! You got you got to wake up and make me lunch, and let's let's go to school. I had to get her going, and she'd be like, "Oh, don't you just want to stay home today and sleep?" Uh, so oh jeez! I, yeah, I had one of those oh moms. Gosh. I had one of those. <laughs> right? <laughs> she was always oh willing to let gosh. me stay home, uh, and I wasn't that kind of kid, so it didn't really didn't wow. matter. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow, Diana! Yeah, I know that's amazing, right? Dirty Diana yeah. it was like, "Oh, Phil's out of here. The sergeant general's out of here at practice. Let's relax a little." That, that's where that's where dirty diana's mind was that <laughs> yeah i had to have a fever north of 102 to actually be able to stay home so uh that, right. that's quite the contrast um yeah. okay so anyway now now we've wasted some time before we get back to the game Good. tonight make sure you set an alarm on your phone so you wake up in time for this one and the other good thing about thursday night football Having Al Michaels do the games gives it a level of familiarity and a different feel. No matter how bad the game is, you still hear Al and it makes you think, which is why they got him to do the games. It makes you think it's a big deal, even if it is the two and seven Panthers and the four and five Falcons. And and look, for the Falcons, it is a big deal because they're tied for first place with the Buccaneers in the NFC South and the Buccaneers have their hands full this weekend in Germany with the Seahawks. I mean, the Falcons could end up one game ahead in this thing. There's no guarantee that the Buccaneers are going to win this division. I mean, the Falcons gave them everything they can handle. They play again later this year. Right. And the Falcons could be the team that 
you know, I say this all the time. We get around Thanksgiving, team around 500, finds the gas pedal, and off it goes. They got Cordell Patterson back. He scored a couple of touchdowns. They have that very diverse running game. Marcus Mariota has settled in nicely. They've got, hey, they've won four games. Yeah. I mean, somehow they've won four out of nine games. This was a team we were ready to discard. So, you know, this is this is an opportunity again to get a close look at a potential playoff team. Not the Panthers at this point, but the Falcons. Yeah, uh, no, the Panther. I mean, the, the Falcons, there, there's a lot of things to respect about the Falcons. I think that's, you know, where I go right off the bat. Arthur Smith, the job he's doing here the second year in a row where, again, I think Atlanta's in the process of, you know, slowly building a team. Last year was kind of the start of the rebuild, even though they didn't want to say those words or anything like that. But they went, what, 7-10 and 10 and exceeded our expectations. Gosh, this year, I thought it might be worse, really. You know, especially with Matt Ryan out the door. They've done an incredible job. You know, again, I think it's another team, Mike, where we look at to go, they know what they are, and then they play within the confines of what their team is. And they don't try to pretend on a given week that they can do something that they know they can't. You know, so the formula is pretty tried and true. It's almost a poor man's version of the New York Giants to a degree, right? It really is. And then Arthur Smith, like Dayball, has got a great he's, – he's been – Mostly conservative. Let's punt the ball out. Let's play defense. We'll run the ball. We'll wait for you to make a mistake. They've been playing that game, you know, and then occasionally, okay, now's the time to go to fourth and one. Here we go. Let's do it. But, uh, yeah, I got a lot of respect for the way he coaches. There's, there's some Vrabel in him. You see, you see it. And I, I think that rubs off on their football team and their attitude, and that's where I you know, respect Atlanta, and they don't back down from a fight from anyone. Well, he came from Vrabel. He learned from right, Vrabel. That's right. how he got the job, being yeah. the offensive corner of the Tennessee Titans. And I'm just peeking ahead a little bit on this Falcons schedule, just to try to get an understanding of it's how interesting, it's right? to get down the stretch. They got the Bears at yeah. home. That's a potentially winnable game for them. The Bears have three wins. The Bears aren't great, although the Bears are getting better they as better. they figure out how to use yes. Justin Fields. Right. They go to Washington the weekend of Thanksgiving, Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern. The Steelers come to town. Man. That's not a, now In past years, you'd say Steelers-Falcons— you know, well, the Steelers win this one easily. And there's been some barn burners between the Steelers and Falcons over the years. That's but four games this is one the Falcons here, including can win. tonight. Yep. Where you go, they, they, they you could win eat. all four, really. They could. Seven and six or eight and five. They could be eight and five when they hit their week 14 by. And then they go to the Saints. Now they have a tough one against the Ravens week 17. The Cardinals come to town. We, or that was week 16 at Ravens. Cardinals come to town week 17. Who knows what you're going to have with Arizona. And then, Chris, you know, Buccaneers at Falcons week 18, that could be the Sunday night game. That could be the – because the NFL always looks for the playoff play-in game. Right. That that has maximum relevance no matter what happens in any of the other games that are played that weekend. What's the one game with winning you're in, losing you go home? That's the ideal setting. Right. It doesn't happen all the time. But that's the and we've seen it and Last usually year, it happens Chargers, when Raiders. right it, it, and it, but and it happens usually and now that was for a wild card yeah yeah and and there was a way they both could have gotten in remember if they had tied they both would have gotten right. in but it did have a lot of different tentacles but to have the classic you win the division or you're done you got to have two teams from a bad division yeah and and so that's that's what we may have we may have the Bucks Falcons the winner goes the loser stays. And uh, I doubt that either of them will have it clinched by then. But if either team is going to, maybe it will be the Falcons because their schedule is very manageable until we get to that Week 16 game at Baltimore. Yeah, it, it is manageable. But we also have to remember that they are the Falcons. And that even though when we look at it and go, oh, these aren't that bad, we got to go, well, every game's going to be somewhat of a dogfight for them. They're, they're not the type of team that's going to blow anybody out. That, that's for sure, but the way they play. They're kind of one of those teams that, you know, again, tonight, if we get I would be shocked if it went blowout again tonight, like it did. How the game went off the rails in the fourth quarter, you know, 10 days ago. I don't think that's going to happen. I think this goes back down into the reality of what these two teams are here. They're not going to make some of the mistakes they did at the end of that football game defensively to where, yeah, this is a, the typical Falcons game is they want it to be in the 2017, 23, 17. They want to play that type of game. If it becomes a shootout and a barn burner, they're not really built 
result for that, you know, more times than not. That's not what they want to do. They want to play like we were just talking about, kind of Mike Vrabel type of football. That's what they are. Dean Pease, you know, defensive coordinator, he came. He was there with Mike Vrabel, too. So I think there's a lot of carryover in the style of football play. And then they got some splash young guys here, Mike, that are worth watching, too. That'll be fun. I mean, Kyle Pitts, we know what he is. It's kind of on and off as far as how they feature him, the Drake London guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes with the Falcons tonight. But that's kind of the game I envision, at least with these two tonight. It's been more off than on with Kyle Pitts. Yeah. He was one of the guys yeah. that we had circled as a breakout player. Everybody was on Kyle Pitts because he had 1,000 receiving yards last year. It took him a while to get going, but when he got going, holy crap. He's got 23 catches, 285 yards, two touchdowns so far this year. Marcus Mariota has said, I can do a better job of giving Kyle Pitts more opportunities. And Pitts hasn't complained about it, but who's complained is all the fantasy owners who thought Kyle Pitts was going to yeah. be you know, basically like having another running back or receiver on your team. It it just hasn't been there from a production standpoint for Kyle Pitts. And whether it's the offense as a whole isn't creating opportunities for him or the quarterback isn't throwing it to him when he's open, who knows? But Mariota's aware of it. Everybody else is aware of it. And, who, and, and in primetime, Maybe this is a night where where Pitts shines. We see that extra little kick for these teams that are typically ignored and just thrust into the the cluster of one o'clock Eastern games on a Sunday. This is an opportunity for them to show everyone what they can do, and and surely they're aware of that. It, it has to give them a little bit of a lift, and maybe it gets them more determined to show off the best pieces that they have on their team. Yeah, it, I mean, it is kind of surprising he hasn't been more of a focal point, especially after last year. You know, it, it it is, and and for a team that you know again runs the ball the way they do, and and you know again Arthur Smith coming from the Tennessee Titans, where you know his years there, they use the tight end pretty well. You know that that's where it is a little surprising, but they're not necessarily always underneath the center to run those type of play action passes. And the biggest thing I think with Kyle Pitts is just, he's. You know, enemy number one of the state. When you play the Atlanta Falcons, you go, wait, run game, and we can't let this guy beat us. And that, and and that's you know unfortunate. When okay, we don't have a great pass game anyways, so we don't have that. And then you know all the eggs are in. Let's stop Kyle Pitts in the pass game basket. Make sure we don't get mismatched there. And then there's not a lot else off of that that really scares any defenses to go. Wait, we got to worry about this and this here and. You know, every now and then we might have to leave Kyle Pitts in a spot where it's advantageous for him. They don't have to do that right now because there is not, you know, there's still not an emergence of a big time receiver. Drake London looks like he has a chance to be that, their first round pick at a USC, but that's kind of been on and off like Kyle Pitts too, and, and probably more off than on, like like you said about Pitts. One of the big differences from the last game to this game is Cordero Patterson is back. He's he had back. a couple of touchdowns on Sunday against the Chargers, even though he only had 44 rushing yards. But but that, that that's a difference maker. And what an amazing story that I don't think gets appreciated yeah. as much as it should. The guy comes in as kind of a project receiver, yep. high ceiling, right. hadn't played a lot at Tennessee. Vikings make him a first-round pick. Great kick returner, never really becomes a great receiver in Minnesota. His contract year, he starts embracing other challenges like being a gunner on the punt team. And then he moves around in free agency, and teams start to realize, hey, well, whether it's the Raiders, the Bears, the Patriots, they Where'd start to realize. Where did he go right after? The Bears? Was it the Bears he went to? I think to? it went to the Raiders. It was the I Raiders, it was the Raiders first. first. Okay. Yeah. I know. Short stint with the Raiders. Right. And then it was Bears, then Patriots, or Patriots and Bears, and then he lands with the Falcons. And and along the way, he becomes a hell of a running back. And now that's his primary gig. It, I, when has that ever happened? Never. At least in the modern era of football. Not- Back in the 50s and 60s, you just played whatever position they told you to play. <laughs> yeah. But you specialize. You're, you're a one-position player. And to completely turn your back on the position that you entered the game as and become a really good performer at another position. It's amazing. It, it is amazing. I mean, I, I don't really think that's it, it, ever, I think is really a real thing. I, I don't remember that really going on. And even the old days, I'm somewhat of a historian. So are you, I can't recall like, 
oh, receiver who changed to running back and then became a top-end running back. I don't remember that. But the guy, the first thing you have to start with is he's, he's, he, he's one of those guys, Mike, that we can put in the Greek god category, where when you see him, you go, oh, whoa, okay, that's why you're Cordero Patterson, and I get it. There's muscles popping out of your ears, and you're a way bigger human being than I thought. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing. He went to the University of Tennessee with my brother when he was there, and I saw him walk out of the locker room a few times, and I was like, holy cow. I mean, he's got a... You know, maybe not a, a Brandon Marshall-ish square shoulders to him and size to him that I don't think people realize. But, yeah, Mike, I, I've never seen a transformation like that where, hey, receiver who can fly and run by everybody, okay, he wasn't maybe the best at some of the nuances of the position. But, wait, he's too good of an athlete? Let's let's start dabbling with him at running back? That's okay. He doesn't have to think a whole lot there. Just get the ball, run to the open hole. And he thrives and thrives like not in year two or three of his career, but where are we at right now with him? Now, I haven't looked. What is he, year 10? Near nine? What, what, you year know? 10. Yeah. 2013. That's one of ins- three first round picks by the Vikings. And he's thriving. He's thrived at running back in year seven, eight, nine, ten 10 here. And that's where it is amazing, Mike, to your point. It really is. There have been plenty of guys who changed positions in college. Right. Like a Ryan Tannehill goes from receiver to quarterback. But in the NFL, you know, the only guy I can think of that changed his primary position, and it was really irrelevant, was Devin Hester, who yeah. came in as a defensive back and never really played it. Right. was just a great kick returner. And then they had the idea in Chicago of making him into a receiver. But never – I mean, like, he's not a guy that's going to run a seven route. He's a guy that you get the – can yeah, you just imagine the if ball. they would have had a little yeah. more creativity to just get the ball in his right. hands, jet right. sweeps? I, like all those things we see now yeah. that just the little touch pass or yeah. the bubble, you know, the quick, the quick screen, all that stuff. Like why? Yeah, those guys are just once unlucky. The guy's got the ball in his he's hands. Gone, Man, and I missed the era. Field. I missed the yeah, era of that. He, right? Because he could have been. He right. could have been. You get him in that setting where he's got the ball and everybody else is like, "Oh, where is he?" Yeah. You, you, he proved time and again that that he's incredible. But k- kudos to Patterson for making the transformation and those who saw it in him and fully embraced his ability to do it. And we get to watch it tonight. That's a reason to watch it tonight. Again, Bezos should be thanking us. We're giving you all the reasons why you should tune in and watch other than because it's on TV. <laughs> because it really isn't on TV. But it is on TV based on the way we we consume it today okay when the Panthers have the ball maybe that's when you turn your TV off PJ Walker still the quarterback even though it looked like Baker Mayfield would get a chance again because Walker got yanked at halftime of that 30 what was 35 nothing time final score of 42 21 but hey they came in they scored points with Baker Mayfield you know, that's what made me think they're going to give Baker Mayfield another opportunity nope PJ Walker starting again tonight Deontay Foreman has been pretty good post Christian McCaffrey trade and uh, what, what do you expect to see from their offense when we get a chance tonight to scrutinize it in a standalone setting? Well, well I, I think the first thing is just like with the P.J. Walker conversation, I'm, I'm glad they stuck with him. I am. I mean, I think he deserved that at this point. He did beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, if D.J. Moore doesn't take his helmet off, they're going to beat the Atlanta Falcons, and he played amazing, and you even talked about it. It's, you know, arguably the greatest throw of the year so far with that touchdown pass last week. Yeah, it was not good, but, man, it wasn't good by anybody on their team. I mean, again, I mean, the, the defense didn't show up last week in Carolina. They, they basically were like, oh, wait, we're in a game? Oh, damn, well, we didn't realize it, and it was 35 nothing by that point, so that was it. Uh, but the offense stunk, too. The offense is, it's all over the place. I don't know what to expect from the Carolina offense. It's not necessarily that special. The big thing they got going for them is get the ball to DJ Moore at times, and then... The run game, and Deontay Foreman's been kind of the the bright spot of that football team to this point. Um, But, like, the Atlanta Falcons, they can play some run defense. The one thing that Dean Pease and Arthur Smith have, again, from that school of Mike Vrabel, is they got some big people. So they're not necessarily, for not a good defense, running the ball is usually not the way to attack Atlanta. So they're going to have to throw the ball and find some ways to make some plays like they did in the fourth quarter. At least the way that's the way I look at it. I don't think they're going to be able to just overpower uh, Atlanta 
you know, again, and I know they had some success in that first matchup, but yeah, it's uh, it's evaluate PJ Walker, appreciate DJ Moore, who I think is if he's on a good team is a superstar receiver, and we'll see if PJ Walker can establish himself as a guy maybe that can be a starter somewhere or do something like that. That's what I'm kind of you know watching for tonight, just the the overall storylines of the Carolina Panthers, I guess. And another opportunity for interim coach Steve Wilkes to do something that will get the attention of David Tepper and make him a candidate for the permanent job. Primetime game, big opportunity. We've seen the Panthers have some bad games in primetime. I think back to a Thursday nighter against the Steelers a few years ago that was a rout. It was horrible. It was awful. It was ugly. It was the year they were doing Amazon's All or Nothing, Yeah, by the yeah, way. Right. And Ron Rivera, uh, the paint peeling off the walls in the locker room when he went after his team for how, how poorly they played because they were a pretty good team that year, but right. not that night. The yeah. Steelers completely dismantled them. One last thing, because yeah. I've gotten a couple of emails already from people who want clarity on the DJ Moore helmet yeah, removal let's talk about it. moment. Because it took like a full week to get to the point where we have an answer of what is and isn't allowed. Well, I mean, and, and what's so, amazing is just the NFL seemed to confuse the situation just as much it's as It's their anybody. fault. Yeah, it's the NFL's fault. Right, it's Perry Fuel's fault. Right, and I'm not going to sugarcoat. It. There's too much tiptoeing around. No, Perry Fuel fueled a fire of misinformation right. when he was on ESPN's Monday Night Countdown the day after it happened. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Yep. DJ Moore catches that that just incredible missile shot from PJ Walker, and here it is. They're at their own 38. He rolls out and he fires it. And it keeps going. It goes 70 and DJ in the Moore. Air. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So there's the helmet off. Okay. Jumps into the stands, comes down, draws a flag. Now look, there's another guy. 84's got his helmet off. And apparently there was another guy who who had a helmet off too or otherwise engaged in unsportsmanlike conduct that should have drawn a flag. More on that in a minute. So the flag gets thrown, obviously the extra point gets moved back 15 yards and they miss it and then they lose in overtime so dj moore's the goat well then the word starts to circulate and and again i'm not going to sugarcoat it our terry mccauley planted this idea that once you're beyond the end zone you can take your helmet off that the rule only applies in the field of play and in the end zone, which implies that once you're beyond the stripe or out of the end zone, and that's where Moore was. He was on the stripe, but he was beyond the end zone. Right. You can take your helmet off without a penalty. And my reaction to that, frankly, was that's nuts. Yeah. Because the, the purpose of the rule is you don't want guys pulling their helmets off and and that and celebrating. It's yeah. the Emmett Smith rule, as you said. Right. So so but and and we reported, and I talked to other people who have been at high levels of interpreting and applying the rules, and it's like, no, that, that, that's, that's not the rule. It can't be the rule. So no. that was how it got started. Right, but Mike, and I then, mean, every player in football would do that if that was, like, the case. They, you don't think oh. the players would have known that and went, whoa, if I step out of bounds, I can take my helmet off after every touchdown? You would see that after think every of, touchdown. They know that's not think the rule. About, Right. Think about what you could do. Right. You could have all 11 players line up just beyond the end zone. They could stand on the white stripe and they could they could like like a like a dance routine. They could remove their helmet one at a time and just go right down. You know, like we see when they kick and they kick, 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 you know, and it's like, oh, that's like, you know, it's mesmerizing. They could. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Like the first guy takes the helmet off, then the second, then the The third, then the fourth and all the way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could do that. And and and. But but we had a, a moment where we're not sure what the hell you can and can't do. And I was just trying to find clarity so players know what the rules are and coaches know what the rules are. And that's where the NFL complicated it. Perry Fuel was on Monday Night Countdown, and and he said that DJ Moore shouldn't have been flagged. That it was the other guys that committed the foul. The other guys had their helmet off, specifically Stephen Sullivan, number 84, right. in the field of play. It shouldn't have been more. It should have been Sullivan, which creates the implication and the impression that, hey, Terry McCauley's right. You get beyond the white stripe, you can take your helmet off. So that happened on Monday night. That was Halloween. I didn't notice it. I don't think anybody really noticed it. It, it didn't make much of a stir. When the NFL decided 
not to find more, which only made it more confusing. They find Sullivan, but not more. Why? And that's when, I think it was footballzebras.com, I found the article with the Perry Fuel comments. It's like, what, the, what are they doing here? What is going on? So I pestered the NFL for an explanation. Officially, they had no comment, which bothers me. Like, somebody, there needs to be a grown-up who will stand up and say, hey, sorry we created all this confusion. Right. Sorry, sorry our senior VP of football administration screwed everything up when he went on TV and failed to explain this. And sorry we added to it by finding one guy and not finding the guy who everyone believed was the culprit. The, the bottom line is you can't do it. But they haven't come out and said the way that they need to, full-throated with clarity, you can't take your helmet off when you're beyond the end zone. The rule applies beyond the end zone. You can't take your helmet off until you're back in the bench area, not part of a celebration. You're just taking your helmet off. That, so that's the rule. And, and I wish they would have said it. It shouldn't be for us to be the ones who say it because there's going to be people who, who react to it and say, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, we don't no. believe it until the NFL says it. But if, some, if you do it, if you're a player or a coach and you're telling your players what the rules are, tell them, keep the helmets on. They know. The NFL screwed this up, yeah. but you got to keep your helmet the on. The players know. They know that rule. We all know that rule. This is craziness. And then the NFL, yeah, I mean, what, not finding him and doing that because, what, they don't want to admit mistakes. So then they're going to make two mistakes on top of that and then just hope it goes away. It's kind of what happened. I mean, it's bright, shiny objects, uh, bright, shiny, uh, bright next, uh, yeah. next week. Here we yeah, go. Yeah. Yep. Here we go. There's another game. There's so, another game. They benefit from that so much. Yeah. Somebody was asking me about that the other day. Oh, all these scandals, the NFL. It's like, no, this is perfect. This is the time to have it happen during football season. Because while we're focused on that thing that makes the NFL look bad, here comes another game. Here comes an, a bright, shiny object. It's the same thing every year. And that's another reason I have games every night of the week. Could you imagine? We would never be able to delve into a full-blown NFL controversy if every day we were getting you ready for a standalone game. No, so, you're right. You're right. Reason, I, well, I am hoping for it. DJ Moore touchdown, take his helmet off in the back of the end zone tonight. I can tell you I'm hoping for that. I hope he t scores well, a touchdown, steps out of bounds, takes his helmet off, and puts the NFL in a bind. They're like, oh, let's see what you got to do now. They'll throw Tell the me. flag. Yeah. They'll throw the flag. Yep. And they'll act like all that other stuff never happened because the end result is you can't do it. Yeah. They created a mess. They didn't want to admit they created a mess. But forget about that. Bright, shiny object. New games are being played. All you need to know is you can't do it. And if you do it, you're most likely going to get flagged unless they screw it all up again. But they didn't. They still they threw the flag. The only thing they got right was they threw the flag. All the stuff in the aftermath created unnecessary confusion, starting with Terry McCauley's attempt to interpret it. And again, I'm not, look, I'm not, he does a great job, but he's wrong on this one. He's wrong. He's just flat out wrong. And if we can't say that somebody's wrong, if we're so, if we're afraid to say that some, somebody's wrong about something, then what, what the hell are we here for? Yeah. I mean, we're here to, I we're here to tell everybody what's right. People make mistakes. I make mistakes. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, I've only been yeah. up for 90 minutes, and I'm sure I've made five already. Okay, um, let's go. Okay, Not let's even go. 90 minutes. I've been up 60 minutes. What am I? See, I made him another mistake, and I admit <laughs> it, and I own it. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. All right. Uh, how about the Rams? This, uh, so usually, you know, when a guy's in the concussion protocol, usually there's something that, you know, either it, it happens during the game and there's a leak or there's an update or there's a report or there's a comment. Sunday, the Rams play the Buccaneers. Wednesday, Sean McVay meets with reporters and explains that fairly important player on the team, Matthew Stafford, is in the concussion protocol. Here's some of Sean McVay explaining how that came to be. What ended up happening was, you know, Reggie and his group doing their kind of cleanup after the game. You know, you, you ask the questions and you do the right follow-ups and uh, determine that, they felt like that was the best thing for him, and um, that's kind of where we're at with it. 
It's uh, more importantly about, you know, the person than the player and these types of things, as we know. And nobody's more of a competitor and wanting to be out there with his teammates than Matthew. He's in the protocol. So we'll take it a day at a time with him. And um, that was what uh, our medical experts determined just based on some of the things that they gathered was uh, the smart and the right course of action. See, there's a balance that you always strike in situations like this. It's a medical issue. There's elements of sensitivity and privacy. But with everything that happened earlier this year with Tuatonga Vailoa, that goes out the window. I want to know, what, what, what was it that happened? Because it can be instructive to other players and other teams, other trainers, other doctors. What did you see? What was the sign? What was the thing that became obvious after the game that wasn't obvious during the game? When did he take the hit? That gave him a concussion because, and Chris, I I hate to say it, but I'm going to, when you have this kind of vague explanation, you have people who are speculating that it's kind of a soft benching of Matthew Stafford. People are already saying that, you know what, either it's because he's just not playing well or he's getting the crap beat out of him behind a bad offensive line. We just need to give him a break. We need to give him a week off and we need to give John Wolford a chance because Stafford's just getting banged around. And, you know, does he really have a concussion or is this just a convenient way to to just get just like, you know, Matthew, you've been you've been. We, we've been hiding all these other injuries. We'll say you have a concussion if you really don't. I mean, there are people who have that suspicion. And when you don't have full transparency, it's it's hard to push back against that suspicion that I'm I'm hearing from people. Yeah, I, I, I know. But, you know, again, we know enough about, first off, Matthew Stafford and how tough he is and that, you know. I mean, geez, it's, he's been killed this year, to your point. He has, but I just, I don't know. The Rams aren't the type of team that I think is going to be, uh, they're, they're fighters. That's the one thing about the Rams. The protection's horrible. It can't be a soft benching. He's one of the best things about their football team. I mean, period. I mean, they got, you know, I mean, his ability to hang in the pocket and make some of these throws and make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, has been the reason they're even competitive right now. He's one of the bright spots of the team. They got nothing. They got nothing. They got nothing to be scared about other than Cooper Cup in the past game. And then they can't block anybody. Their offensive line went from being average to being one of the four, five, six worst offensive lines in football. So, And then they don't have really a, a big-time running back behind that. So Matthew Stafford, I mean, if, if it was any type of benching, it might be, hey, your body's beat up. Maybe we do that. It's certainly not because of play. It's not that. Uh, he's really one of the he's one of the few things on that team you don't have to worry about on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but damn, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, with a concussion. But I hear you. It does make you question the whole thing. And and you know, again, my experience with stuff like that is usually a guy. Oh man, I got a I got a little bit of headache, or I don't know what's going on after the game. And then all of a sudden, they start to dig deeper into you. And you know, then then that's when they evaluate that type of stuff. I'm guessing that's kind of what went on there. Um, but certainly. You know, let's not let the benching of Matthew Stafford become a story because that's that's not what's going on. And I, I agree with you, but I yeah. still wish they would give us something more, right? So we can understand what it was. So other teams, other players, other trainers will know because the NFL is still relatively in its infancy when it comes to this concussion sensitivity. It's been. Yeah. It's been 13 years since the NFL was forced to have an epiphany. The Protocol changes as there are more examples. There are more data points. This is a data point. This is a unique situation where there was no obvious moment during a game where Matthew Stafford was like, oh, there, you know, there's that there's that gross motor instability that became ataxia after they changed the protocol when Tua was wobbling all over the place and everybody in the world knew that he had a concussion except the two guys. Eh, well, no, it was a back injury. Ankle injury, Mike. Back and ankle. Any trouble. I don't want to get in any trouble, even though it, even though all of us with functioning eyes know it was a concussion. He never admitted it, so we will we will say it was a back injury. But there was nothing that would even allow the argument. There was nothing. There was no moment that were like, oh, oh, Matthew Stafford, how did he not? Well, how's he how's he still in the game? So I I I think it's important for people to know what to look for, so you can protect other players. What was it? What was it? Hey, you caught the guy. 
I don't mean caught him like he was stealing something. You caught, you detected, you yeah, saw right, right. something in his behavior, whether it was how he was speaking, whether it was what his eyes were doing, whether, you know, he was fumbling around in his lot. What was it you saw that caused you to put him in the concussion protocol? There, there can be great benefit from that. And, Chris, that kind of detail pushes back against the tinfoil hatters who would say they're just looking for a way to put Stafford on the bench for a week. Yeah, I, I, I hear you're right. That That's what it definitely would do. You know, I, I, Again, I don't know. There's just been this weird, like, it, and again, I guess it's the era we live in about the quarterback right now where I, I hear too much of, like, is Matthew Stafford the problem with the Rams? And it's like, what? Matthew Stafford is the borderline savior. He's the reason they're three and five. I mean, some of the drives they make to score, you just go, holy cow, every throw he made was into a window this small as he was getting his head knocked off. I mean, it's like, oh, gain of four, and he jammed it in there because they got nothing. Oh, gain of six because they can't protect him, but he got it in there. I mean, that, that's the way they're playing right now. And then they have no run game. I mean, it's, it's scary the way they're protecting him. He's getting killed out there right now. And that's where I, I feel for him. The Rams, you know, if they get to the playoffs, it'll be amazing. It really will. I don't want to say they won't do it, but I don't think they can do it. Not with the way they look as a football team. Their defense is good. I get it. But they're not like, I don't think they don't make enough plays and dominate that way to where they can win the games because of their defense. And then their offense, tough and all that. But, man, I just don't see it. And with their schedule down the stretch, I, I, I kind of expect them to be one of those teams that's on the outside looking in with the way they've looked the, the first half of the year. Well, the, the challenge is to get the guys to keep holding the rope. And yeah, there's a point right, where you're right. going to just start to let go of the rope and think about next year. No matter what Sean McVay says or does, it just kind of collectively takes over. And the thing about Stafford, he's the anti-Ben Roethlisberger. You know, Roethlisberger always wanted everyone to know yeah, right. everything they could about his injury. All the stuff, you know, that, that picture of him looking like the Michelin man with all those ice bags. And it was always embellished or or exaggerated or sometimes fabricated. If you go back to the first glimmer that we ever got of Ben Roethlisberger and his injury deal, where he said after the AFC championship loss to the Patriots in early 2005, he had multiple broken toes and Bill Cowher coached the Steelers, the touch. So what the hell are you talking about? He's got no broken toes. So that was the first hint of what we're going to be dealing with for the next 15 years. Stafford is the exact opposite. He never says boo. I mean, when, when they were struggling earlier this year, one of my theories was he's secretly injured and it's not that the Rams are hiding it. He's hiding it from everybody. He's not saying a word about it. They don't even know to give him treatment on whatever may be injured. He just is finding a way to fight through it. Yeah, I, I think that is he's old school like that. It's where it's where I respect him. You know, he he fought through it last year, as we know. He was banged up and had a lot of issues and you know, had some games that were a little shaky, never makes an excuse, never does that. I mean Stafford is in in a lot of ways, he's the guy that to really, really respect. You know, in an era where it's 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 me, 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 and I want more, 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 and I want more attention and me, 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 me. He's Pretty selfless up there in Detroit all those years. I mean, he finally politely get asked to get out without making a stir, and they did it. Like, like never really made an issue of it. And then, you know, even just getting his body beat the way he has throughout his career, never says, you know, diddly squat about it. Uh, that's where I respect Matthew Stafford, let alone he's more talented than people have ever given him credit for. Uh, he, he is old school in a lot of ways, and uh, you know I, I really do admire that about him and, and his personality. Uh, speaking of injuries, fairly high-profile quarterback Whoa. dealing with an elbow problem, and you know we we saw Sean McDermott on Tuesday. We played the video, and and I, I, we we agreed he seems a little concerned. He was borderline glum, as you said. Here's McDermott from yesterday talking about Josh Allen's status just a few days away from their home game against the 7-1 and Vikings. Uh, he's day-to-day, and the next question will be, is he going to play? And the answer is, we'll see. Um, so based on the medical report that, that we have, uh, Josh is day-to-day. He's day-to-day. We'll see. We will Can see. I, will he one, be give, limited? Give me, give me one second. Let me answer his question fully, please. Uh, we will see how he does 
we use common sense, and obviously we factor a lot of things into it, the medical report being one of them, and, and our doctor's wisdom and knowledge. Day-to-day, did not practice at all yesterday. And, hey, this is the most telling fact. Remember when Aaron Rodgers was undecided about what he was going to do 2021, the weekend before camp, the sports books pulled off all the bets. Right. All the futures bets. Yep. Because they didn't know whether or not he was going to retire. Yeah. Now, if they had known one way or the other, there would have been bets on the board. Right. The bets only get pulled when Vegas and the sports books don't have the info. In this case, we've seen the line go from Bills minus 9.5 to Bills minus 3.5. That tells me they know. They know that he ain't playing, Chris. They know. It'd be off the board if it was truly undecided. Their best information right now is he's not playing and the line reflects yeah, it. The I, movement of the line reflects it. I, I, I saw that. That was pretty shocking to me. And, and I am in the official, after the draft last year and a few things that happened, I'm like, oh, I'm going to listen to Vegas when it comes to stuff like that. They seem to always know. Always. Um, I would say even again there, you know, just the way that question was answered day to day, that wasn't, you know. I don't know. There was something about that that wasn't real confident and full-throated and like, hey, he's day-to-day, but we're making progress, you know, and we're hopeful he can play this week. There was more like, man, it was more like a, it's day-to-day and holy crap, I hope it gets better tomorrow day because it's, it's, it ain't good today, today, all right? I mean, you know, I'm being silly there. It's not a real, real simsism, but I mean, how can they not be concerned? I mean, like we talked this about. This thing, the more I see it. Yeah. It looks incredibly painful. How did he uncork the throw to Gabe Davis after this? And that, ah, oh, well, the next throw after movement. This, he had a throw to his right side, if you remember, where he skipped the ball. He had, uh, I believe it was Stephon Diggs on like a deep curl route to his right side, and he missed the throw by seven, eight feet and skipped it and then was grabbing his arm again. So there was a – it was obviously was bothering him a little bit. You don't see Josh Allen, you know, throw the ball short very often. But you're right. And then the next play throws really the most unbelievable throw of the year. I mean, that was 70 yards in the air running to his left. That was kind of sick. Um, but but I don't know. I, I, there's something about this guy, too, that I just feel like he's like Superman and you can't hurt him right now. I'm, I, I think we're going to end up seeing him out there on Sunday. I don't, I, I don't know but- why. But that's what made it so jarring to see Superman grabbing at his elbow because you don't grab at it if it doesn't hurt. And I think back to the days when we would spend hours at the baseball field and there's a point where you throw the ball just enough times where you you can just feel that that ache because it's very unnatural. The more natural way for the human body to throw a ball is underhand, not overhand. You put all sorts of different stress and and it, it can only take so much. And you get an injury in your elbow, like today, and it's more of a function of age than anything. Like I, I like felt something in my elbow, and it's like, man, this, what is this? And can I mean, and I didn't do anything. You had a real injury where that thing got twisted around. I, 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 I hope he plays. I hope he's healthy. I hope we don't go multiple weeks without the the best, one of the best two quarterbacks in football right now. But. All the signs are pointing to this guy not playing, and they're just trying to keep the Vikings in the dark about facing their former quarterback, Case Keenum, on Sunday. And, hey, look, I think the Bills could still win the game. And the yeah. idea of Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs going against the Vikings, there's, there's poetry to that. The Minneapolis Miracle return game. The two guys responsible for one of the most memorable plays in NFL history on the field together throwing passes between each other against the team that they did. It'd be like Terry Bradshaw and Frank O'Harris playing for the Raiders a few years after the Immaculate Reception. It's unbelievable yeah, if it happens. It, it, it is unbelievable. You know, and again, they're they're very dependent on Josh Allen's talents, and we know why. I mean, he's he's special that way. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if he doesn't play, maybe it's one of those things where, it, you know, it, it like Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. They find a few new ways to go. Wait, wait, we we got to do something else because we don't have Superman here. So. We got to go to the drawing board and help Case Keenum out and our team out and find another way to, you know, rip off some big plays in that. Maybe that's where that can this can end up helping out certainly, but I don't want to see it. I mean, again, it's the Vikings, they're 7 and 1. We we don't really think they're as good as 7 and 1. 
I want to be able to see them against a full strength Bills team to measure them a little bit. That's where you know it, it, it's going to be disappointing if he can't play. But either way, that's not a bad second fiddle to have Case Keenum going against his, his old squad. That is just a hell of a compelling game because the look the Vikings have had through eight games they've had only uh, one yeah. true road game where they had to tiptoe into the Lions' den, and there's no tiptoeing to be done in Philadelphia. There's no tiptoeing to be done in Buffalo. The only other true road game they had was Washington, and oh come on, yeah, the Vikings fans were louder than the Commanders fans. So this is going to be shades of Week Two. I mean, think about it. I mean, the Vi- the Vikings have had these favorable environments. You play a road game. They got a, a road shamrock game up the their ass this year, for sure. Road game against <laughs> the Saints in London. And, and now after first this game, start. hey, Chris, a- after this game, they got five or six at home. Uh, it's it's and it the only road game is at Detroit. And in the last two games on the road at Green Bay at. Chicago, both of those teams may be dead in the water by then. Yeah, I, I mean, know. yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it uh, you just you just start. It's Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, it's, it's better you, to be you lucky just get than lucky. Good. I know. One after another, lucky, 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 and the next thing you know, you're you're one of the better teams in the NFL. It, it really is amazing it how it's is. played out. Yeah, it is. They got the momentum going, but yeah, it, it, that's where I think we question it because uh, you know because of what you're talking about. I mean, the Lions game, they won. Yeah, but you go, man, the Lions did some dumb things there to help them win. The Saints game, and as Andy Dalton first start in London, you know, there was those issues there. The Bears, it was before they unveiled this Justin Fields running offense, and they weren't the same team. They got fortunate there. The Dolphins, you got to play a third-string quarterback when you went and played them. Uh, the Cardinals, hey, I'll give them respect for those wins. And even last week, I mean, they were outplayed for the most part of the football game. But big pass by Kirk Cousins and a stupid interception by Taylor Heineke, and you guys hung around and won it. But that's why I do go like, yes, yeah, 7-1, number two in the PFT, Mike Florio power rankings. But I don't think they're really the number two team in football. That's for sure. But we'll see. Either way, without Josh Allen or with him, I do think this week gives us another little bit, at least a somewhat of a measuring stick to go, okay, this is how good they are, you know, regardless of whether Allen plays. I was on radio with Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, KFAN, yesterday, every Wednesday at 10 Eastern. He and I visit, and, and he he was very happy about the fact that the Vikings are number two in the power rankings. And I, I said to him what I said to you yesterday. It's like, well, this is this is basically your, your, the, your participation trophy because it's all going to fall apart starting <laughs> this weekend. He didn't like that yeah. very much. But maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. They're, they're pulling another lucky card if they don't have to see Josh Allen. I mean, I don't know that they'll win. I don't know that they uh, – who knows? Who knows? But you got a much better chance of winning if you don't have to face the guy who ran all over you when he was a rookie – when the Vikings were 17.5-point favorites, and I know a lot was different four years ago, different coaching staff, a lot of different players, but it's Josh Allen. If you can avoid Josh Allen, it's like avoiding Patrick Mahomes, although the Vikings did lose in Kansas City to Matt Moore the year that that uh, Patrick Mahomes was out. So, uh, And again, different coaching staff, uh, but... If you can avoid facing Josh Allen, so be it. All right, let's take a break. Everybody who has played the Seahawks this year has avoided facing Russell Wilson, which has worked out very well for the Seahawks. A little shade being thrown by Pete Carroll at Russ. And a little response by Russ. We'll have some fun with that when PFT Live continues right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 